0: Welcome to Art Talk with April. I'm April Harris of Inked April and the host of this podcast. This is season four. We have some amazing artists on. I can't wait to share them with you. So let's get started. Welcome to Art Talk with April. Today we have Susan Hensel, who is a mixed media sculptured textile artist (laughs) did I get it did I get it right (laughs) more or less yeah I mean got all the words out (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much Susan for coming on the show um talking to me about your work so how did you get started in art and um being creative it's always been
1: Yeah. yeah I mean it's just always been Uh, I was encouraged in my family to to be creative. My mother grew up in Toledo, Ohio, going to the Toledo Museum Children's Programs back in the teens and the 20s of the 20th century. I mean, that stuff was just simply available and it was normal. Yeah, it was normal. I mean, they weren't a rich family or anything. It was just normal. This is what you did. And I was a child when television was pretty new, so we weren't seduced by daytime TV. Mm -hmm. And and we lived semi-rural, so it was throw the kids outside. And once I discovered pencils and paper, I would resist that uh, because I just really needed to be in a corner making marks and messes and things. So it's kind of always been there. I mean, my earliest memories are aesthetic wow you know they're about it's not just about seeing the light it's about being excited by the light and by what the light does and that relates so closely to what I do now that it's kind of spooky <laughs> 70 years later like whoa that really does relate
0: <laughs> so, Wow! oh my yeah. gosh I love yeah. that because I think it's it's we miss that in like today's world, the children are all like so bogged down with digital and TV and, you know, this game or that game that they might not stop to notice things and experience, you know?
1: Yeah. Somehow my son grew up noticing and he was definitely part of the early parts of the digital generation. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I was widowed when he was very young and I needed that TV to give me a break. <laughs> so, so I you know, I I swore I would never be that parent, but I needed to be. Yeah. And so cartoons, you know, but yeah. he wound up becoming um, a highly skilled artist and photographer. Wow. He works in medical photography and and in his own time when he when he can cobble it together he does these science related art projects through photography wow so it's it's interesting
0: yeah that's so, fascinating
1: yeah so he somehow inherited that need to look mm. and it wasn't just that i exposed him i think he just is that person
0: yeah yeah i mean some of that can you know just be genetically you know, who your people are, you know, your family, and the people that you know you come from are, are yeah. you know, naturally inclined, yeah, and I don't think that that's talent
1: per se. It's just where your interests lie. Mm. and some of that is, I think, is genetic, and so for me and for my mother, mm. um, it was about seeing things, looking at things, seeing the detail um. So, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at three years old, my son announced to me that the sculpture in front of the Civic Center was his. <laughs> and he wanted to take his friends to see his sculpture.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> so, I think, he, so I think he got it, too. Yeah. You know, that's the only time we'd gone to the Civic Center was to see Big Bird live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs>
0: So, so oh it's so fun remembered the sculpture yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah so from there like um did you go to school for art or you self-taught or what was your journey after that I did
1: go to college and get a BFA um Bachelor of Fine Arts I chose to go to a university just in case so I could just get a really good academic um, background, too. And within the first week, it was like, oh, my God, I'm in the right place. I can't believe I get to do this all day, yeah, all day. (laughs) Um, And I've never looked back, and I've never stopped. Um, And I've never stopped learning because it's not, I think the college education is important, from the standpoint of immersion and being exposed to art history in ways that none of us are growing up um, and to the vast variety of materials that are available to you that aren't when you're in high school. And so from that standpoint, it was really important. And it wasn't about establishing a style. It was about exposure and then
0: learning to continue learning, yeah, yeah, so, just yeah. experiencing all the different things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wound up with um, two majors: one in sculpture, which was really my heart, and and one in painting, and and a very near major in ceramics. And um, I did ceramics full time for probably twenty years wow. until I exhausted what I needed to do is yeah. ceramics, and and then moved on and it's been quite a journey through papermaking book arts and textiles but all of it um really three-dimensional mm-hmm. and kind of comes back around to being fundamentally a sculptor I think like a sculptor mm-hmm. I, I even draw like a sculptor I don't draw outlines of things I draw the insides and the and find
0: my way out. It's yeah. much more sculptural. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting because I, I'm the opposite. I'm not I'm I'm not sculptural or anything at all. I'm the I'm a draw drawing paint yeah. kind of artist and yeah. so that's one of those things that I personally have never even experienced like I had to choose between I think sculpture and painting and I went with painting and then I never explored sculpture in school yeah. and that kind of limited you know what I ended up experiencing there but that's so fascinating that you say that that you even draw like yeah. in a sort a of three-dimensional way yeah, no, I've been part of a
1: drawing co-op until recently, you know, for many, many, many years. And and people remark on how I draw that it's just different than what most of the painters do.
0: Wow. That's
1: and, yeah, I mean, I, I'm never the one to use my pencil to measure something. You know, that's just, you know, like is that the head? I don't no. Know. <laughs> you know, that's just... Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me because there is a difference. Mm. And sculptors are very materially oriented, mm. very process oriented. And, and I think I see that in the drawing that I do too. I don't have to limit it to pencil. I can glue something in there. I can, I could take that drawing and rip it up and turn it into something else. I can take yeah. that drawing and wrap it around things. I it, it's the, there are no limits.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. And it means you get to make trash, and that's okay too. Yeah. Um, and, and then you rip up the trash, and it either goes in the garbage or it goes in that special box
0: of precious trash <laughs>
1: <laughs> that you know you're going to get back to.
2: So. Yeah.
0: You're like, oh, maybe, maybe one day. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that's so, that is just so, I. I, I that's fascinating to me because of my lack of experience in thinking that way but also you know um, what is your process like what is your current process that you're using as far as making things
1: well a lot of what I do comes down to working in the computer to draw with stitches I create um, foldable images that use color in a way that when they are folded, your viewer perception of color gets a bit confused because the color shifts as you walk by it. Mm-hmm. And that is possible because of the materials I'm using. Oh. So the process actually starts out sometimes with little thumbnail sketches, but mostly it's a very smooth um, journey from one thing to another because nothing is finished when it comes off of the embroidery machine.
2: Sure.
1: Yeah. So to back up for your listeners, I worked in digital embroidery on a commercial embroidery machine. I started out on a home one like everybody does. And, and digital embroidery is just simply the stuff that is embroidered on caps and on letter jackets, monograms. That's, that's how it's used the most. But when I saw in process at the State Fair, you wow. know, I saw it itching out a Donald Duck. And I was mesmerized by the sound, because it is a lovely sound, and by the color. And I really didn't care about Donald Duck. I didn't care that nobody was standing there manning the hoop. I didn't care that it was hands-free. It wasn't about automation for me. Yeah. It was about what it looked like. And it was the most amazing blue I have ever seen in my life. And, and I learned many years later through deep research that's because of the shape of the thread, because most of the embroidery these days is done with tri-lobal polyester thread. Mm-hmm. So, tri-three-lobal, hmm, you know, sides, plies, whatever. And then I remembered the tiny bit of physics that I know from high school <laughs> and you know prisms you know and how yeah. the light bounces and depending on the angle of the light, the yeah. color changes. And I went, oh my gosh, that's why that blue was so amazing because I wasn't seeing just one um, one shade or tint of that blue. I was seeing a f- several. Because the because the light was bouncing at angles, bounce, 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 bounce off of that. Yeah. And when I understood that, I began to understand that I could work with gradients and the color of the background, and and working with all of those and putting in dimensionality Mm -hmm. makes almost a lenticular lens kind of effect. Do you remember those signs? Holly, maybe you're too young for them. Um, there were billboards when I was a kid, probably up until my teens. Then they weren't electronic. It was before all the electronic billboards. And they were built with vertical pieces of wood on them. Mm-hmm. On one side of the wood would be one message, and on the other would be the other. Yeah. And so I, on, I don't know. Yeah, so <laughs> So that is also done with lenses and those are called lenticular lenses. Oh. And it's because the images do this. And as you walk by, the images blend. Well, you can do that with color and you can do that with this thread. So it's astonishing. Wow. Um, and when I, whenever I have an opening, people have their noses up to things. And we do that at openings anyways. But <laughs> but then they turn to me and go, I don't get it. I I, I don't. I, I don't understand what I'm seeing. And and I explain it to them and I say, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. But as you would move, looking at things, it just, oh, it's more gold. Oh, it's kind of purple. Oh, wait, what, but, but it's gold. Yeah. It's you know, so that kind of experience happens. Um, and I kind of know when I start out, um, what I'm going to (laughs) make, (laughs) kind of. And so I make the form in the computer, and they're they're modules, essentially, that I can put together.
3: Yeah.
1: And so they can be sewn together, or they can be cut up, whatever. and, Mm -hmm. And I put them in the small or the big machine and watch it stitch. Now, if I'm doing something that's quite pictorial, um, I might stop the machine at one point and go, nope, you're done. So there's an intuitive aspect to it yeah. because um, you do layer after layer of colors. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes you choose the wrong color because yeah. only, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. only one, yeah, only one needle stitches at a time. And so you have to tell the computer and the machine, do red first, then do blue, then you oh, know, all that. Yeah. Each needle is assigned a color. And sometimes you choose the wrong one. And sometimes it's a lot better than what you thought you were going (laughs) to do. And sometimes it's really awful. There are a lot of reasons why you might stop the machine. Um, But you also might just continue on and go, hmm, it's not enough. Yeah. And go back to the computer, digitize something else that you put over it. Interesting. You know, it can be highly intuitive yeah and then when it comes off the machine you have to figure out if what you were going to do with it is going to work yeah (laughs) And, and so you start folding and manipulating and putting things together in one direction or another and and hand stitching trying to figure out where things need to be what do they need to be with do they need to be with wood do they need to be with beads do they need to be with paper do what 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 does it need to make it complete does it need to have a hundred of them? Yeah. yeah, you know, you know, all, all kinds of weird questions like that. Like you go, whoa, that's really cool. Would yeah. that be really cool if there were 50? You yeah. know? <laughs> I don't know until I try it. Oh, that's so fun. Oh, it is. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I look forward to starting up again in the new studio. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, so... Um... With your work, are you, like, showing in any galleries or that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I show in galleries and museums mostly. Mm -hmm. Um, And the galleries, some are commercial, some are nonprofit spaces. Mm -hmm. I have work in a museum in Indiana right now in a show of four or five women that they invited. Um, I've worked in two shows out in California. And another one in Arkansas at the moment. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, I show really a lot. Yeah. Um, I work hard at showing because I believe in the power of artwork to essentially change hearts and get kind of extreme. Um, Looking at art is good for us. Sure. Human beings have been manipulating materials for no practical reason since we figured out how to do anything you know like that first stirring stick of fire when we first discovered fire and and somebody was stirring it with a stick and they probably went "Ooh, good stick I don't want to forget this one (laughs) you know and they marked it or maybe it was no it's my stick (laughs) maybe it was it's a magic stick it doesn't matter we started marking things And we still do that if we allow ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the work that I've been doing over the years, even before textiles um, found me, has always been on some level about slowing yourself down enough to be present. Um, When I was working in ceramics, it was about um, shifting the focus of mealtime. So that you would appreciate your food, appreciate your company, um, make it um, more than nutrition, make it more sensual, uh, make it visual. I, I mean, I don't, know about you, I don't put parsley springs on a plate, but at least I choose a pretty plate, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I choose a plate whose color looks nice with the food I'm eating. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. And and it slows people down. and when you can slow down and relax, you you come out of whatever the experience is, even if it's even if you only slow down for a moment,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you come out more rested and more able to do your work. And so it's about the beauty. It's about letting it come in so that you can then go,, oh, oh okay, yeah. Okay, got to type that report. <laughs> dollars to donuts, you're going to type that report better because you took a 30 second moment to look up and go, oh, oh, my.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've
1: been thinking about that for at least 50 years.
0: Yeah. Sort of stopping and noticing the th- things and yeah. just paying attention. I um, well, love can- your I love yeah. your work. Like you've got you've got such different things, like your um more sculptural kind of pieces and then your, you know, your embroidery. And it's all kind of um, I mean, i I kind of feel like leaning towards sort of a geometrical kind of feeling. So yeah. that um, you know, is that a particular style that you're drawn to or that has I am bring-
1: in, in a funny way. Um when I was in college, I worked with geometry a lot yeah. in work. Um, and part of that was the time. It was the time of the minimalists. And that's what we were exposed to. But I always did like the tension of things like a circle bounded by a square or the yeah. square a circle or, you know, what happens if things are appear symmetrical and they aren't. I mean, I was always fascinated by that. Um, But my drawings over the years have always been highly organic. So I haven't quite figured out how to marry those yet. I'm working on it. Um, But when the embroidery found me, it is by definition geometric because even though you might be making a circle, every single stitch is just a straight line. Yeah, yeah. It's two points joined by a piece of thread yeah. so it is essentially geometric so the first work that i did with the embroidery was an exhibition um, with a friend and we called it platonic duality and so we worked with the concept of duality in mm-hmm. um, geometry and can i tell you what duality is anymore no i cannot <laughs> but, but but it was circles within squares, pyramids, trompe l'oeil, um mm-hmm. using geometry and color. And um, and that's kind of where it started to get really serious. And mm-hmm. then I I on a vacation, I I take my machine with me. I kind of do a, a retreat for myself every year. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, Lake superior. Yeah. A you know, great inland ocean. And and I set—I um, usually set a little bit of a idea for myself, not not something completed. I'm not worried about that ever. Sure. It's more like, what do you want to study? And mm-hmm. I decided I wanted to study gradients. So it was color studies, and and I was just doing four-inch pieces, just little samples. Yeah, and they were beautiful. And I noticed, you know, when I played like this with them, that the color shifted. And so then I decided to just sort of get in the corners and see what happened. Mm -hmm. And that's when they started to pop off the wall. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, okay, honey, if you were a book artist, you know how to do pop-ups and accordions and and all of that. And I started applying those skills Mm -hmm. to the design work so that things would fold properly and fold permanently. Mm -hmm. And I was off on money. It was just amazing.
3: That
0: it's is
1: just, amazing.
0: It was just like, oh, yeah. Had, I'm thinking about it, like, and I, I guess I'm looking at it from my own perspective. I'm thinking, wow, like uh, that, those thought processes and thinking through kind of the materials and the way things would fold and design and stuff like that. That's so beyond what I. Think about when I'm making something. And that's like yeah. a whole nother level of.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you know what I decided some years ago? I think what you do is highly abstract. I have no idea how you get a thought utterly down on flat paper from start to finish. Because <laughs> you're taking three, like let's say it's observational drawing. Yeah. And I'm actually pretty good at observational drawing, but I don't draw like most observational drawers do. And and when you think about it, you're looking at a three-dimensional object yeah, and you're making it flat. Uh-huh. That is high-level spatial thinking. Think about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and for me, um, I have these little kernels of ideas and I think, I want to see what that looks like. And the only way I can figure out what it's going to look like is to start playing with the materials and making them. And it doesn't mean that I know that it's gonna be four inches by two inches or anything like that. When I was in my twenties, I used to, you know, have layouts that were really didactic like that. But um now it's just like, huh, pick up that thing, play with it. What happens if I do this? What happens if I join the corners? What happens if I fold it? You know, it's all of those what if kinds of things that I, I cannot imagine the answer to. Mm. physically do it yeah and so i think that's the difference maybe between sculptors and people who work primarily two-dimensionally for us we just got to go well but i i don't get it what if i um
2: Mm.
1: and you know it's a it's a process of discovery and experimentation that i love oh my goodness And I love the problem solving of it. I think it's just.
0: Oh, yeah. I imagine there's a lot of that that you have to think through how you're, you know, even if you don't have a plan in the beginning and you have kind of an idea, you're thinking, okay, now how can I make that happen?
2: (laughs) Right. And then
1: how can I make this floppy thing?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was kind of an eye opener, you know, as I began to upscale and make floppy things and. That, that I really wanted to not be floppy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you have to build armatures. Okay. You know, it's just, I wasn't thinking those thoughts. <laughs> I was just thinking, this is really cool. Boy, I like how that looks. Let's yeah. put it up on the wall. And it goes, bleh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you no, know, it's just, I guess it's a being in the moment kind of thing and then figuring out how to How to make it do what you want it to do. And as a and in the process of all of that experimentation, other ideas hatch. Mm, Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: They just do. Yeah. So, So then I go back to the machine and make more modules for
0: the next idea. Do you are you working in like a series of pieces? Yeah, always.
1: Yeah. Very rarely am I are they one-off. Sure. Um, the one-offs, while I love them, um, I don't usually exhibit because they don't represent mm-hmm. the totality of what I'm doing. Sure. Someday there might be enough one-offs that that relate because I mean, that's kind of how you build a body of work. Yeah. You know, you, you have a theme you're working with or a colorway or whatever. And depending on how fast the the work on that idea goes you know, it becomes a body of work eventually. What I find with the embroidery is that I'll come up with a colorway and a textural design Mm -hmm. that I really, really like. Really like. (laughs) Uh, And I've got a a blue and gold series that I've been working on for several years. Mm -hmm. And the main reason it's staying blue and gold with a little bit of purple is because I haven't exhausted what I can do with it yet. Mm -hmm. There's yet more to do. And um, and so it made itself into a series because I loved the fundamentals of the original design and I could take it and tweak it. I could make it larger, smaller, take parts out, put parts in. Um, because the, the software is kind of like Adobe Photoshop and kind of like Illustrator. I'm terrible at Illustrator, but it does have aspects. Of Illustrator, everything's done in layers, so you could go in and go. Well, I didn't like that triangle over there. I'm taking that sucker out of there, mm-hmm. you know, and just get rid of it. So it makes it real easy to to take a design that you like and um, make it change for the next iteration. Yeah, and you could you could change the threads too. Obviously, you change the colors. You could change the order of stitching, which changes. Mm-hmm. If you stitch gold first and blue second, blue will be more prominent. Yeah, you know. So there's those kinds of decisions.
0: Oh, so many
1: variables. <laughs> oh, there are. And so I wind up staying um, with one basic design look for a very long time because they they just keep suggesting more. and yeah. more. And more. Um the series I've been working on for more than two years is called Neotectonics, which is, I had to look things up, but it's basically, I love tectonics, the um, geology of plates moving yeah. and doing things. And there evidently is a part of the field that is called neotectonics. So it's the most recent movements of plates, of earthquakes, of, of changes in the earth, which Relates to climate change, mm. yeah. Yeah, I didn't know I was working in climate change until my <laughs> <laughs> But and, 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 you know, I'm just working with pretty stuff, right? Yeah. And but as the the stuff begins to coalesce and become what it's meant to be, it begins to tell me what my concerns are, and it seems that I am very concerned about the health of the oceans. Mm. I. I mean, I should be, of course, yeah. but I but I wasn't consciously going <laughs> on to make art about the health of the oceans. Yeah. I making stuff. And then I realized that I was trying to find my way through um, this period that we're in where the weather's changing so dramatically and climates are changing and the ocean is heating up and... You know, all that stuff that's in the news and and I developed a series that I called Wayfinders because I'm desperate. I I'll use anything to find my way, right? <laughs> so I make handheld wayfinders, which are wood and, and embroidery. And you can pick them up and go. Okay. They don't do it. But, but you can you can hold <laughs> Um, so funny. <laughs> I know I mean some of it is kind of hilarious really but they're very beautiful and they yeah. they reflect back to um you know ancient astronomy and and my dad's love of compasses he was a sailor and he always wanted a gimbaled sailor's compass so I made a piece that it doesn't move like a compass but yeah. but it reflects it yeah and then, um I made a, a one piece that does move a uh, Buddha's prayer wheel. Mm-hmm. So um, and it was a prayer wheel for the ocean or something, you know. So it's and, so, and 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 they suggest things like there's one that I call runoff model. And I was looking at it, going, I like it like this. It's like something is running off mm-hmm. from the mountains. You know, you think of the streams and the in the yeah. spring. And so I went to the Google and I went, Oh, there are. Scientific runoff models to help predict how bad the floods will be. Who knew, of course. Not. Wow. <laughs> so it got its title. Yeah. Um, so I guess you know all of the work I do. I mean, yes, I do it for other people to have experiences, mm-hmm. and I don't really care if they're in the same ballpark as I am necessarily thematically, but I do it for me. To begin to to understand what it is that I am the most concerned about or interested in, um, it's kind of like what's what is uh, surging around in my gut that I don't have words for. Yeah,
0: yeah. And,
1: and then once the pieces come out, I have to develop words for them. Yeah. And Sometimes I need help. Yeah you know periodic a lot of the time i have an assistant i don't right now but it kind of comes and goes and that's one of the jobs of an assistant is to sit with you looking at a piece going
0: okay what's it say yeah yeah well it's purple yeah no what else (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i i I, um you know the global warming problem and all that that is huge (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we can't, I'm not a scientist, and
1: even the scientists can't understand it. You know, they, they have better tools than I do, and they certainly know more than I do, but I think we all need to be aware and make, increasingly make decisions that might give us a couple more minutes on Earth, because the Earth will persist. We won't. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Is the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: so true. And art, I think, can be kind of that bridge to communicate <laughs> and get some of those big ideas and important I think so too. Messages across. Yeah, because if
1: so and it doesn't have to be scenes of death and destruction to be effective. Oh yeah, no. Not at no, all. Lot, no, because a lot of political art can get pretty offensive and you don't. I don't Mm. I make it it's for me you know I make those harsh things when I'm upset of course Mm. I do I think most artists do but you don't you don't have to exhibit them there are other ways um because I think sometimes they're too off-putting and Mm. there are there are other ways um a friend of mine who works with imagery that is like from the 1950s. He's a he's a heck of a printmaker. He's really cool. He does all these really wild silk screens using um 1950s imagery and they're funny. Yeah. They, oh funny, but they're also pointed. Yeah. <laughs> and and he he definitely has a message, but he disarms you with the humor. Yeah. And then And then you're ready to get it. And he said, yeah, I use humor. And then he brought up the old cliche from our grandmothers. You attract more bees with honey. Sure. And so I I go with that. And and I'm also just not confrontational anyways. And, And I do make political work and I have shown political work, but I've shown it from experiential standpoints rather than shame
0: on you standpoints oh yeah 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 that's that's actually been something that I've experienced with um I had a friend or I have a friend who did a little bit of political art like paintings and she experienced somebody having a bad adverse reaction oh yeah oh yeah To her painting and she didn't normally do political paintings so it was kind of like okay now what do I do like I've I've, I feel this way I want to express it but this other person that you know I care about they are very mad at me now you know like I I, you go in this direct you can either go in the direction of kind of being a little bit more subtle with your message and using other tools, or you can be very, you know, in your face. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, yeah, I live in a very progressive part of the country. And um, the anger on both sides is really high. And that, in the end, doesn't allow much positive forward movement yeah no, it doesn't really. no, because I mean it's okay to disagree. Gosh,, really. yeah. Of course it is. um and and anger is easy. Fixing things is hard. Anger is a primitive emotion, and you got to feel it. no question. But you don't have to stay in it. yeah, you are you are not dishonoring the things that you believe in by letting your anger go and just simply working for positive change of some sort without anger without attacking other people without shaming people
0: mm, yeah because when you
1: shame somebody they're going to resist and they are not not going to consider what you're what you're talking about yeah and we can't make another person change they have to choose to sure oh so, so my job as an artist is just to on some level show another way,
2: mm.
1: not not in, not insist on another way,
2: mm-hmm. not
1: not tell somebody you got to do it my way, just to yeah. say, yeah, Here's what I do, yeah.
0: yeah, like sharing your perspective and in a way that they're like more curious, yes, like, what do you mean, what is that about, you know, <laughs> and then that opens a door in order to you know have Have a conversation conversation. yeah yeah
1: yeah Yeah. I did a a large-scale installation many years ago now probably 25 years ago and I on the holocaust Mm -hmm. and it was actually about the role of the bystanders I'm, I'm a Christian I come from a Christian background probably way back in and my not so deep history, um, we were probably Jewish. Mm -hmm. A fair amount of my family came from Germany and, and all Christians, you know, hearken back one way or another, Mm -hmm. faith-based into Judaism. So, you know, this is part of our, our source code. And, um, I had a lot of input from the community doing it. I had a lot of help. I had students from Michigan state university helping me and, um, and it was bad. Oh, it was difficult to do the research and everything. And I had somebody call me um, when it went up, who had not been to the installation, and start yelling at me about making fun of the Holocaust. And wow. I said, "And I said, I'm not. Well, it's art." And I go, "Well, no, it's not. You should come. You know, we're having community conversations about this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and this is not." There, there's no dead bodies here, okay? There's no dead bodies. There's no blood. You yeah. know? There's deep research, and it is about the role of all of us, mm. whether we were alive at that time or not, who just stand by when genocides happen, and they've happened from time immemorial, and they're still happening. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And she, but but it's not your story to tell. I said I'm not telling that story. Yeah. I, you know, I'm using that story as a reference. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm telling the story of the Christians who stood there and went, oh, it's not happening. Yeah. That's the story I'm telling. And I'm also telling a story of hope mm. that if we don't forget that this is part of the human propensity, maybe we can prevent some of it.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that, one of the biggest, I think. You know the Holocaust being one of the most major, just human atrocities. Oh, so well, and and we all yeah. are familiar with it and yeah. and know and yeah. Then, then to think, okay, well, what about all the people who are around? Exactly, who didn't do anything? Would and I have not- the courage? Yeah. Would I have had the courage to do something? I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and for me, that's what the examination was. Mm -hmm. And and then my public purpose was for other people to examine themselves Mm. and to consider this utterly documented, horrific event within the context of human history. Yeah. Including current. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And that might work with beauty. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's it's from that stance of what, how can it affect in a positive way mm. the people who interact. Mm. And
0: that's important to me. Yeah. So I had a conversation recently with another artist about abstraction. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, it not being representative of anything visually, like how people can, I guess, open up and understand it and not be afraid of it or be, you know, kind of put off by it. Like if I, like, I don't... (sighs) I guess, how do people connect with abstract in that sort of emotional way if it's not an object that they know what it is? Yeah. What are your feelings around that?
1: Um, you know, it's kind of tough. Um, people are afraid of art, and and I think because of its power. And we don't have in our country, um, well, we don't have art history in the public schools, that's clear. Yeah. Yeah. and and. And while a lot of people go to museums, it isn't everybody, mm. and and there is a. I mean, I'll I'll get there.
0: I'll, I'll get to some kind of answer here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's intimidating for people, you know, yeah, like it's like it's too ab- it. it's too abstract for them that they can't. Yeah.
1: But yet, you know, they don't react that way. To the abstractions that you'll see at furniture stores. Oh, yeah. That's hey, about that. right. So there's abstraction and there's abstraction. Yeah. And I think that comes back some on some level to what the functions are that art fulfills. And a lot of people think it's about putting a pretty picture over your couch of something that you recognize. And then a good artist is somebody who can make something that you recognize. And that's how you define good art. Yeah. And art is so very much more than that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And um, let's let's suppose it's geometric abstraction of some sort. Like maybe there's a bunch of diagonal lines that make shapes, you know, triangles of various kinds, and they're filled in with colors. Yeah. So one of the ways to discuss would be, wow, that reminds me of a stained glass window. What about you? Mm-hmm. Which colors do you like? do you like do you like the texture they did on the red? Mm-hmm. Maybe this is something you can can like. And if it's the and if people look at more and more things and ask themselves questions, mm-hmm. um, they may or may not get to the place where they can at least appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And it's utterly okay if you don't like it.
2: I mean, it is
1: so okay. And and one of the complaints I even get from artists, because we have good museums here in in Minneapolis. Um, I even get this from artists. I don't know why they put that up there. Why is a museum putting that up there? That isn't good art. I'm like, that isn't the point. (laughs) That isn't the point. Museums collect, more or less, and it's usually from their trustees, So that's the more conservative stuff, and other stuff they get on loan, and they try to be current, and they try to show what some of the trends are, and so you don't relate to it. So what? It hasn't been, it hasn't been um, sated as being hallowed, fantastic (laughs) art. It's just, it's just stuff. Yeah, it's just stuff. But the more you look at it, you will find the pieces that you come back to Mm. and I can remember the first time I saw, there were two experiences I had, one was for a tea bowl you know, a Japanese tea bowl it was in St. Louis and I burst into tears wow and what? (laughs) you know, it was like, what? (laughs) and it was simply you know, one of the most beautiful objects I have ever seen it had to do with the shape of it and I think it was what's called a hair's, a hairs fur glaze or tamuku. It, it looks kind of like bunny fur and mm. it, it's just gorgeous. And, and it was like my hands tingled wanting to hold it. Oh. <laughs> and then the other time was the first time I saw a Rothko in person.
2: Mm.
1: I was in New York and it was before they redid the Museum of Modern Art. Mm -hmm. it was kind of behind um a decorative screen so that you could sit down and not be distracted and it was it was like going to church wow a really good day
0: wow (laughs) that is amazing
1: yeah i felt connected to all that is holy wow with that one painting and there's a group of paintings that um and it had that same effect on me. Now, obviously, I'm trained. I look at art all the time. I'm open to non-objective things. Um, but if, if for you, it's um, a of the which is highly representational, of the peasants in the field at twilight, that's great. Because you know what? That painting does it for me, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an astonishing painting. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of things that can astonish you. If you just don't worry about what you know, mm-hmm. just respond. Mm-hmm. Just respond.
0: Yeah. I think when I think as humans, we try to give things names and, yeah. you know, identify things so clearly that we don't stop to slow down and really think about how it makes us feel. Yeah. We're just like experiencing yeah. it without putting a label on it and saying, "Oh, that's yeah.
1: This, this." Yeah, you know, I mean, we do tell stories, and I think we do. Yeah. And you know, I guess the story way back to that set of triangles that have been looked like a stained glass window
3: mm-hmm.
1: is, you know, the other thing I'll I'll say to people, "Okay, what do you see first? What's the next thing you see?" What do you notice? Where does your eye go? What's the journey? Yeah. You know, and and, and do you notice how that diagonal looks really strong? Mm. You know, so they can begin to develop language. And they can still say, I don't like it. it's so okay. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. And, but why is it here? Well, somebody liked it. Somebody thought it was worth spending time with.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's okay if you don't. It's
0: fine. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head with the Rothko. I think that he is one of those artists that people are like, they either get it and really get it, or they're just like, huh, it's Man. orange. What's what matter? Matter? Like, I can yeah. do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, you can't.
1: <laughs> no, no, actually, you can't. I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Someday, uh, someday on my bucket list is going to the Rothko Chapel. Is that outside of Dallas, I think? I think it is. And um, I think that would be just amazing.
0: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there are lots of experiences to have with art. And it's okay if you don't understand them. I've seen lots of stuff I don't understand. Yeah. Mm You know, and when I see it again years later, sometimes I understand something more
0: sure
1: you know one of my favorite um pieces of artwork i own is it's just a little smudge in the middle of a very large page and and then there's a little you know it's got some some gesso and some black but it looks a little like a cave in a way and it's just one brush stroke really and uh, there's a little piece of uh, Gold foil can't lower down on the page. That piece has spoken to me for over 35 years because it keeps telling me more. And there's like nothing there, but it's like the cave of the mysteries or something. It's it's like the Big Bang, it's like the creation story, or it's just a quiet place to rest. It just keeps speaking to me. It's got these multiple stories. Yeah. <laughs> That it tells me, and most people look at it and go, "What?" <laughs> and for me, it's one of the most profound experiences that I get to have on a daily basis. Yeah, because so, you know, I haven't hung my art yet, in my <laughs> <laughs> but that's the first one I'm going to put up. Yeah,
0: it'll be the first thing I see when I get up in the morning. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I think that that call also calls attention to like in buying art and having art in your home you you kind of think okay you you enjoy it at first and you think this is wonderful I love it but it's it changes over time and it's strange how that happens and it and it kind of means something different yeah when you're in a different space or you're in a different you know circumstance or whatever something occurs to you you're like it's like a whole nother piece of art
1: now. <laughs> it is. It is, and I think that is the power of the language of art. Mm. It really is, um, and that's why you know I tell people that I mentor. I mean, your art's important. Mm. It's not only important that you do it because it's good for you. It's important for the world, whether you, they know it or not, mm. because this is what we do. And I suppose it takes some courage, but. There are ways to, to get around your own fear as an artist. You no, know, you just do it. You show up, and it's okay if you make something crappy. No one's going to die. <laughs> you know, Applying for shows gets easier. I, I do not have a thick skin. I don't. Um, but if you apply to enough, let me set your budget. What can you afford for those jury fees? <laughs> and yeah really (laughs) it is so high um and and then apply and have multiple applications out there because yeah most of them are going to get rejected but you're you will learn where the work belongs and over time your acceptance rate goes up Mm -hmm. and pretty soon most of the time when the rejections come in you go oh okay rejections for like six weeks on end you know what am i you know (laughs) but that's when a really good get that really good yes comes in so just trust in that process
0: yeah i think that is one of those hard things for a lot of artists is letting go of that i don't know fear of failure or rejection or you know not you know you spend so much time on something and you love it, and then it seems like nobody else loves it,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah I have some really large artworks like that that I still love, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it's just part of it um, and and it's I guess it's too bad that it is part of it, but it's just a fact,
3: yeah, yeah,
1: it's just a fact. and um, and it's. <sighs> And art doesn't behave like other commodities. Mm. It, you know, it's it's worth something if something pays for it, but it doesn't, it's not needed in the same direct way as toilet paper, you know? Yeah. yeah art, you know, toilet paper costs X to make, X to buy. Mm-hmm. Boom. It's not that way with art.
2: Mm-mm.
1: It doesn't have that established, that kind of established market it's far more personal than that and far more um, unpredictable yeah absolutely and It's just the way it is and almost all artists have other jobs it's just the way it is <laughs> because even some of the famous artists that you you're absolutely, absolutely. Working, are rolling in the dough are teaching
0: at universities because they have yeah, to yeah there are famous artists in history that had completely other like job like day jobs <laughs> They're Absolutely. like accountants or something. and Right, right. You know, well, I art is in the MoMA.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many people, you know, that I've worked with over the years saying, I'm a failure, I can't support myself on my art. And it's like, number one, you're not a failure.
3: Yeah.
1: And number two, why did you think you could? Yeah. You know, most people don't.
0: I think it, I think that, um that artist story is sold a lot it's like this magical fairy tale of the artist that is just you know I don't know if it's like because of Picasso or you know like the the famous artists who that's all they do and they're you know yeah there are but there aren't very many no no and it doesn't mean that it's like that you're a failure if it's not like that for you Right,
2: right. yeah,
1: you have to um, I mean, I had to. I think we all have to um, redefine what success looks like. yeah, yeah, absolutely. and and it's countercultural. I mean, we're a capitalist culture, uh, which I'm glad to live in, but what I do it doesn't operate um directly in a capitalist culture high auction amounts and stuff the artist doesn't get that anyways so it just hopefully you know raises the value of their art they have left to sell yeah
0: they don't get that money so where can people find your art
1: well to get a look at all of it (laughs) go to susanhenselprojects.com and that's pretty much everything i've done in the last 25 years, maybe. Wow. Um, Yeah, I think it's all been done. What's on the website. It's probably all been done since I moved to Minnesota 20 years ago, maybe a little bit before. Um, The older work, it's harder to find, but it's because most of it's in collections. It's at SusanHenselDesign.com. Okay. And that would be the artist books. they're they're gone now they're in collections i i make books occasionally now but not very often so Uh, but that's where you'll find and then follow me on instagram Uh, susan underscore Hensel underscore multimedia underscore artist on instagram
0: So Well, I mean, I have really enjoyed talking to you, Susan, about everything. It's so fascinating to me. Your art, for me personally, it's so unusual, but also so interesting. And, you know, how you came about finding your process and the way that you explore it I mean that is just fascinating to me I think that oh, is wonderful and I oh, think i that, love the epiphanies they're great yes yes yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like what, what I think the thing that is interesting to me is that when I look at your art it looks so like it had a plan like there was a plan and that's so structured in a way that you think okay this this has been planned out but what you're saying is that it's not really like that at all and that is so interesting to me (laughs) thank you so much for listening to this episode of art talk with april for more information on this episode join the facebook group the art lounge please subscribe and share see you next tuesday hope you have a great week